Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and joining me today, <laughs> Chad, why are you trying to boot me? No, no, Point of Insanity. I was pointing well, at the, the insanity. The, the, oh, well, I can do that, too. Okay, so yeah, we can see each other through Skype here, so I'm like, why is he trying to boop my nose? Well, that wasn't quite what I was going for, but... But yes, you were pointing at insanity. And exactly. when But Chad, be careful yes. when you point at insanity, because sometimes insanity will point back at you. <laughs> All right. Or how'd that saying go, beware when you gaze into the abyss for the abyss gazes into you, or so, I don't know. But anyways, that's yeah, not... Yeah, something what... like that. That's not what we're here to talk about. We had, or today we're going to be talking about, and this was actually a topic that uh, Chad thought of because I wasn't really sure, uh, you know, what I wanted to do for the topic. And, you know, my last episode I did a historical gaming, so that involved, of course, a buttload of research. And, well, actually, you helped me with one, too, uh, not too long ago as well. So this yep. is actually, we're both going to be kind of winging it today. But I think it's a fun topic, and it's one that's relevant to... Uh, gamers and that is the topic of technology at the table and uh, okay tech at sounds, the table tech at the table yes so sounds like so that little uh have you had bad experiences with tech at the table or no no and i must say that honestly i always have my cell phone with me my smartphone with me and I catch myself being on the smartphone, um, and it makes me mad that I do that. Yeah, and so there's a couple of things we're going to talk about. I mean, of course, there's the use of you know smartphones, tablets, laptops, uh, but I think what really, you know, what really is a good way to look back at this, okay, because back in the old days, you know, back before we started gaming, and when you know, when I started, and to an extent when you started, gaming was still pretty much a low-tech affair. You know, you yes. had your you had Absolutely. your dice, you had your books, you had some paper. If you were a part of a group that used miniatures, you had miniatures. And, you know, I've seen some groups, they've used elaborate props like, I don't know, just out of curiosity, when you game, do you, do your groups ever really go into uh, using props like, you know scenery and stuff to show where everything is no the closest we'd ever get to that is somebody might draw out a rough you know map of a of a battlefield or something like that um the guys that i game with we're very much um theater of the, theater mind's of the mind eye. yeah because i mean i've i because i my my good friend dan from uh radio free borderlands who i okay uh when we yeah it's chad's taking a sip right now one of these days I have to make that point of insanity game studio drinking, you know, geekery in general drinking game. And if I mention Dan from Radio Free Borderlands, <laughs> take a sip. Right? But, and, you know, I mean, it's just because in, in the case of Dan, I mean, we've been friends since like middle high school. And, you know, so we've gamed a lot together. Uh, My God, from when you were in high school? That was People a while ago. This don't realize how long ago that was. You took the Bronto bus to school, didn't you? Yeah, and I had to walk uphill uh, through the snow both ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandfather used to tell me that. Funny story about that. Nikki's dad used to tell them that all the time about having to walk uphill both ways to school. And then when they were old enough, he took them and showed them where he grew up and where the schoolhouse was. And there was a hill in between. So he literally had to walk uphill both ways to and from school so <laughs> you know there's this picture that's going that goes around facebook every now and then uh it takes a couple of screenshots from the fellowship of the ring we're on the you know you know the part where they're uh walking up the mountain and this is before they go through um moria but uh what they do is they have uh aragon going where are we going? And Gandalf's replying, this is the route your parents took to school. Right. Yep. I've seen those. Yeah, it's, it's cute. But 
we're getting off topic here. Well, that happens all the time. But yeah, okay, to get back on topic, like I said, it was a very low-tech affair back then. It, you know, it's very rare that you had anything, you know, beyond your dice, your books, your miniatures, and some paper. And as well, as, as I was saying before we got off topic, uh, you know, Dan, uh, he's a big fan of the, uh, what makes it, Dwarven Forge. You know how they've got okay. all the, the, you know, the mazes and like the cave ones. So yeah, he's a big fan of those. And okay. uh, sometimes when I game with him, he'll break those out. So those always look really neat. Um, but, you know, eventually game designers did find a way to start to develop more technology into the game sessions. And do you remember back when TSR experimented with CD audio for gaming in the 90s? I've heard of it. I've seen a couple examples of it, but I never dealt with it myself. So um, I know what you're talking about. It was supposed to be background music for, you know, if you were in a, in a, in, let's say that you could play the tracks that had like background noise going on and things like that. Um, I attempted it with uh, Call of Cthulhu because there is a series of discs out there um, and I had purchased one called the Necronomicon. And what the Necronomicon did was the way they had figured this out was you're supposed to ebb and flow. So you're supposed to follow the music. So when the music started to pick up in intensity, you're supposed to put them into a situation that would cause, you know, them some sort of, uh, I don't know. Anxiety or fear. Anxiety or something like that. And then there were certain places where they should be in a battle of sorts and then there would be times when it was down, and that's when they should be, you know, doing their investigation and that kind of stuff. And I tried to put something together to follow that because I had sat there and I'd listened to it. And the music is amazing. It, it's done by a, a group called Nox Arcana, and they do a lot of it. They do a lot of this mood, mood music. But the problem is you've then got four to six guys sitting out there that don't care what you've put together. You know, I mean, really, they don't. They're in this just like you to tell a story, but they don't necessarily want to tell your story, you know? Yeah, because... So it didn't last very long. I tried it, I think, for two sessions and then talked to everybody, and we're all just kind of like, you know, the music's neat, and if you want to play it in the background, great, but to try to to form your game to the music, for me, just didn't work. Just Just didn't work. Yeah, because I had one of the box sets, which I kind of wish I didn't sell because of how much it goes for on the secondary market. It was one you of those... You wish you had to sell now. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could sell it now, but it was called, I think, Hail the Heroes. It was like a first to third level adventure, and it included the CD audio track. It was pretty much your standard dungeon crawl. I think you had to like, you had to retrieve like a sword or a shield or something like that, and uh, it had... You know, the audio track, it would, in the module, it would say, like, okay, it would have the box text, but it also tell you the track. So if you didn't want to read it and you had the CD and a CD player, you could go in there and you could, you know, punch up track number seven and it would do the NPC dialogue with some music and background. And there were a couple of other pieces in there, like, um, I know there was just some generic battle music. There was one of like a male character dying. There was another one, a female character dying. So, you know, if someone died, you could, Hey, I'm going to queue up track number 17. And it's like, uh, you, you know, well, whatever it was. And uh, they right, also so voice actors got paid really well for something that was more work for the DM than it was probably worth. Yeah, exactly. And, the other thing, and they even had like a little music piece that you could play at the end. And uh, I remember when TSR was first starting to experiment with this to promote it at Gen Con, they came out with, they had this CD they were giving away called Waveforms. And I actually still have my copy where uh, the first part, it had an interview with some of the people who were designing it and they were talking about these various products. And, you know, they explained how some of them were just like background music and then others would have you know, audio that was integral to the adventure. The second part was pretty cool too. They talked about the um 
they talked about the sound effects and how they would do that. And one of them they talked about for the Planescape setting, there was, I, I guess in Planescape, there's these artifacts called Ymir's, which are okay. Mimir's, sorry. It's based on the uh, Norse mythology. There are these little skull-like things, and you throw it up in the air, and then it would, you know, read box text. Uh, it would read some text, and that would give you, like, some rumors or hints or something or whatever. And there's this sound effect that they play at the beginning, which goes something like this. But then they had a section where they were talking to the, the sound engineers who put that piece together. And they talked about how, you know, they did the different sound effects, like they had a cuckoo clock in there, and they also had, uh, they recorded some birds taking off, and they included some slot machines from Vegas as part of the sound effects. So I thought it was really cool how they went into the different layers they put into it. Then they also had a couple of montages in there of just some of the music. So as far as how it turned out, didn't really turn out too well. As far as I know, they didn't do a lot of it. Um, which, like I said, is kind of a shame. I mean, it was a neat little idea, but uh, this was also the time where uh, TSR was going through a lot of financial problems. And, you know, of course, you know about this because I know you, uh, for one of your episodes of Want to Hear Something Interesting, you talked about, you know, TSR and right uh, the... You know, I said it was just a crazy time for them in the 90s that they were trying to think of all these new ideas to stay afloat. And while you have to kind of give them credit for trying to do things like that, they also made a lot of dumb. I honestly think that was kind of what killed them is they put their they put their money so thin and so many things that even if one of them had caught, I don't know if they would have had the money to back it. Yeah, that's true. And. And some of the other things they tried, they had, they also had another series they tried called Terror Tracks, which was like, you remember the Choose Your Own Adventures books, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was basically like that, where it was, um, you know, a Choose Your Own Adventure on CD, where, okay, you do this. And, well, Terror Tracks was basically a paranormal version of 911, where you get the, you know, these calls that, you know, they think that it's like a... a an, a supernatural entity it gets forwarded to terror tracks and you're you're trying to guide this you know these agents through uh the adventure so they don't die and um you know so that sounded like it actually sounded like an interesting idea but i the only problem is i could see those having very limited replayability mm-hmm. yeah because it's like the same with the same thing that plagued you know choose your own adventure books sure you could read through it and make different choices two or three times, but in the end, you already knew what was going to happen. You'd be like, okay, if I go to page 42, I've already been there three times. You know, so the readability, you know, maybe as a kid was a little more than it is now, but it's, uh, it would be limited. Yeah. And another one of the things that they tried around this time, which from what I understand actually worked out really well is they had the, they did actually put out these digital versions, or they had a CD rather, I forgot what they called it, but, you know, it had the different types of character sheets you could print out. And mm. one of my friends on a podcast was mentioning, you know, that he liked it because they had stuff for not just your standard D&D, but, you know, you had some of the settings like Oriental Adventures where they, you know, they had special things that you would put on those sheets. Right. Uh, because like Oriental Adventures, and I think some of the other settings did, had things that were not a part of standard D&D. And, you know, it would include that information as well. So it, again, it sounded like a pretty cool idea, especially since this was, well, it was before the time where it was common for people to put downloads on the websites. Right. You know, and, and that's exactly it. About 1999, 2000, if you had a connection to the Internet, all you got to do is go out there and be like, type in, you know, D&D. Uh, character sheet. 3.5 or... character sheet. And boom, you had a ton of them. Now, the, the, the problem with that in the early days was you had to watch for viruses because in the early days, 
people would put viruses out there with any tag on them you could think of. You know, and now, thankfully, things have gotten to the point where most of those things are caught by any sort of, you know, firewall or some sort of, uh, or some sort of antivirus software. Yeah, exactly. Phishing software, any of that stuff that most people have on their computers now. Yeah, and uh, that's a and that's a good point because I I mean back then, I don't think as many people had the antivirus software, but I know now what's nice is um. You know, every internet connection I've had since two, or every internet subscription I've gotten since 2000, you know, they all included the internet security software with it. Right. You know, which is nice because it's well, as long as your, you know, as long as your subscription to your internet service remains current, so does your, you know, your antivirus software. Correct. Um, but of course, the other thing you had to be careful back then, and this is where uh, TSR, you know, got a lot of hate from the fans. You know, back when, you know, internet and being able to make a website through like GeoCities or I think was another one like Angel Fire. Uh, yeah. Ly wasn't there another one, Lycos? But you had all these, these sites where you could build your own website. And remember what people used to do is they would, you know, sometimes would say like, hey, here's some magic items I made for D&D &D, or here's a new class idea, here's an adventure, and TSR would go after people with all these cease and desist orders, you know, demanding people to take it down because they saw it as a, you know, infringement on their copyright. And I think that's one of the reasons why when Wizards took over, they did the open gaming license as a way to kind of extend that olive branch to, you know, maybe try to win back some of the people who were put off by TSR in their you know, their uh, copyright crusade. Well, you know, and the thing about that was, is I think TSR went about that the wrong way too. They could have went to these people that came up with these new magic items and went, hey, here's 10 bucks, here's 15 bucks. We're going to put this in one of our books. And people would have been ecstatic about that. To get that, that writing credit in one of those books. I mean, TSR would have, if they would have come to me, because, you know, we've all created magical items we've all created cursed items we've all created stuff that is specific to what we're running that isn't really out there and then to have something like tsr or you know some other group come to you and go hey we really like that idea we can't give you a lot of money for it but we'll give you credit in our book and you know here's 25 dollars to spend on the on the wizards of the coast website i think that would be huge yeah, and I think Wizards is even doing that because uh, I know on one of the sites that I sell my drive through my my stuff through uh, drive through stuff dot com, I or actually no, this might be D and D classics, but a friend of mine was saying that they were starting to give people who make you know these original works a place to distribute it, and one, I guess one of the goals they said is you know they were going to use this as an opportunity to look for new talent. Now, granted, back then, I think it would have been awesome if TSR would have did what you suggested. But again, we have to remember, of course, this was a time when TSR was had their financial issues. So they probably were trying to think of a way to, you know, save money as much as you can. But then again, I mean, with all the legal fees, they were probably paying people to, you know, go out send and send these. Send assist. You know, yeah. they could have just as easily went to these people and said, hey. We can't pay you. We like this. Can we use it in a book? And I'll bet you 75% of the people would have been like, yeah, put my name in the book, you know? Do we, it. Be happy. And yeah, and hey, here's 10 bucks or here's a complimentary copy. You know, maybe if they, you yeah, know, did a certain number. In, you know, we're going to put this in Tome of Magic 5. So when we print it, we're going to send you one. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if they would be that generous, but, but still, you know, I mean. I mean yeah, it still would have been a nicer gesture than take it down. You're violating our copyright, you know, and but well, then, of course, as soon as we started to move towards the 2000s, and I think this was a later in the 2000s, I don't yeah. remember when uh, drive through RPG drive through now opened. Um, but, you know, those are two of the major sites for selling, getting PDFs. And mm -hmm. this is a thing where I have to say, as far as gaming goes, I think the gaming industry 
was a, more open to embracing digital distribution than the music and film industry was. Because I don't know if you remember uh, or if you've ever read much about the history of the MP3 player. Not but, really, no. Yeah, but when the MP3 player, or the MP3 format rather, uh, first came out, you know, there were companies that, or there were music companies, I think Sony was one of them, uh, they were against this format because they realized, okay, a, a small compressed music file that can easily be sent over the internet, it's going to lead to lots of piracy, but they didn't think at that time, well, in, maybe instead of just complaining about people downloading pirated music, maybe we could sell it and we could make some money too. They didn't think about it. And well, I mean, right. you can, and of course with digital distribution with like movies and too, I mean, we don't think much of it now, but um, you know, before the executives at these companies had the idea that, you know, maybe we could sell it. Right. They were against it. And I mean, even going back to the days of the VCR, uh, I remember on one podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how the, um, and again, this was back in the eight, early 80s, there were mu movie companies that were against the idea of the VCR because then people would stay home and watch movies. I forgot the guy's name, but, and which company he was with, but he thought that VCRs should be pay to play, where, you know, it's not enough to go out and spend 50, 60 bucks on a movie, because remember, this was the early 80s, VHS tapes were quite expensive. Yep. It well, wasn't... VHS would run you 250 to 300 bucks. Yeah, and it wasn't enough for him to just, you know, have you go out and buy a copy of Star Wars uh, for whatever it would have cost back then. You know, they wanted it where once you put it in, you had to some, you had to pay in order to get the VHS to play it, which how that would have worked back then, I don't know. Um, so every time you wanted to play it, it you had to pay again. That's what on I think. That, pay, on yep. top of paying the fifty whatever dollars for the, the device itself. Yep, that's what they wanted. That would have killed that industry. Exactly. And uh, speaking of VHS tapes and how they can relate to D and D, do you did you ever see the the board game TSR made called Dragon Strike? I no, but I, I have read about it. I've heard about it. I've never actually seen a copy of it. Okay, I'm sure it's if you YouTube it, you'll find it. But it came with a VHS tape where right. it was cheesy and not very well acted. But there is a section at the end where they do give some tips for how to run the game. And it okay. is actually very interesting. Uh, I said, go YouTube it. I'm, I'm sure you'll like it. But Okay. Sorry, I just had to bring that up. Like I said, it's gloriously cheesy. Kind of like me. Exactly. But <laughs> so <laughs> moving on to the modern age. So now it's like, okay, we've got PDFs, which, of course, you know, that... I don't know. I mean, well, what do you feel about PDFs? I mean, do you like them? Or I mean, personally, I'm not. I would prefer a physical copy of a book, but I mean, I think there are some advantages to PDFs. I kind of walk a line on that all the time. Sometimes I'm like, you know, it would be nice to have a PDF because as extensive as my book collection is, I don't have them all. And, and some, some of, of those books are expensive and hard to find. Especially in 3.5, which is where I've got most of my, you know, I've got several thousands worth of dollars worth of books. And, but I don't have them all. And there are some I would like that, um, you know, I got lucky. I, I finally found a spell compendium. But that book is going for 125 bucks right now. Oh, yeah. And another one, when you talk about the rare and expensive, the rule cyclopedia for basic D&D. &D. I mean, well, for a while, Wizards, they stepped out of online digital distribution, which I know there were some people were criticizing that because it's like, okay, they the reason they stopped selling copies of their PDFs was out of concerns for piracy. And this is a legitimate concern. I, I, I can't fault them for, well, 
maybe that's not the best way to say it, but I can't blame them for being concerned because, you know, if I, I admit I bought a copy of the rule cyclopedia as a PDF. And because usually if you go to eBay, you find a copy that is in, you know, really good condition. It's probably going to run you close to a hundred bucks. I got my PDF copy of it on sale for four ninety nine, right? You know, and eventually my friend Dan. Did you buy it from a legit place? Yes, I did. I bought it through the Wizards of the Coast store on uh, drive through our stuff. So I did buy a legitimate copy. You bought a legitimate copy. I think they're more worried about the fact that you buy a legitimate copy. And then you share it with me and you share it with Joe and you share it with Dan and you share it with, that's what they're worried about. Yeah. But the thing, the thing they've got to realize is, um, and this is more music than, and than PDFs, but the thing they got to realize is I love things like YouTube. I love things like uh, all these other things, but I'm still the kind of guy that, so I listened to it for free. I really liked it. I'm going to go buy my disc. I'm still a disc guy. I don't want MP3s, uh, even though they're nice sometimes, like when you're traveling or whatever, MP3s are nice. But I'm going to still go buy that CD. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like a try it. If you like it, go buy it. Now, not everybody is like that. But I feel that same way because I will admit over the years, I have probably come into possession of certain PDFs not through a legitimate legitimate <laughs> source. But it's usually so I can look at it, see what's in there. And if it's something I want or something I'm going to use, I will actually go buy the book. You know, and if it's not, it's not going to stay on my computer. It's not going to stay on my cell phone because it takes up space, man. Yeah, and, and uh, to go off what you were saying before, that was one of the reasons why Wizards, just at least what I heard, that's one of the reasons Wizards wanted to get away from the digital distribution is because, yeah, I bought my copy of the Rule Cyclopedia from them, but there's nothing to stop me from giving a copy to everyone I know. Now, I'm not the kind of person that's going to do that. Um, but here's the problem. when For that period where they stopped doing online PDF distribution... The piracy probably went through the roof. Exactly, because, okay, if I'm the kind of person where... Let's say I do like my PDFs. Doesn't matter whatever reason. Maybe I can't afford to buy a physical copy. Maybe I don't have room to store all these physical copies. Maybe I just prefer the digital medium. Doesn't matter. But if uh, Wizards isn't going to sell me a digital copy of you know, one of their books and I don't have the money or the space or whatever to go get a physical copy... What's my other option? You know, try Scan it. In. Yeah, find some place to download it. And mm-hmm. um and I think wizards eventually they realize that and it's like, okay, there's nothing we can do to stop online piracy of DV of of PDFs. But we might as well sell it so that way we can get some money and we can sell this to our customers who they want that digital copy and they are willing to pay us for it. So that's why I'm glad they did go back because they're not, and I have to give Wizards credit for this, they're not just, you know, selling their current stuff. They've also started going back and offering, you know, TSR stuff as well. You know, and the thing about that, the, 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 as a guy who goes to conventions, you do as well, I know. Would you rather carry a backpack full of books or your smartphone? Exactly, cousin. That's where PDFs are, I think, a very good thing for gamers. Even gamers like me who don't like to have the PDFs, that's a good time to have it. Because I'd rather carry my 8-ounce cell phone around than my 80-pound backpack stuffed with books. Chad, take another drink from your, your, your drink, your beverage there. We're going to talk about Dan? Yes, Dan from Radio Free Borderlands. Uh, for the last couple of years, he has a, a series of events he's ran at Gen Con that he calls the Edition Gauntlet. He writes, he has six sessions he runs. One uses the basic rules, and then it goes through first, second, third, fourth, fifth. But what I think it's neat about what he does is 
the stories are all related. It's just it's moving forward. And the I don't know if he's moved to the PDFs, but can you imagine how many books that poor bastard had to carry around with him? Well, when you're running five or six different versions of the game, <laughs> minimum, minimum, eighteen, minimum. You know, you've got your core books for each type, and as far I don't know about basic because I never played basic, but I know starting with second edition on, it's three books: player's handbook, DM's guide, monster manual. Well, that's what's so, nice. Minimum. Yeah, and that's what's nice about the Rule Cyclopedia for Basic. It combines all of them. It has okay. the stuff from because well, what they did with Basic is when they had the, um, you know, when they had the 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 box sets, you had one book for the players, one book for the DM, and what the Rule Cyclopedia does it it rolls that all into one where you've got the player stuff, you've got your magic items, you've got your monsters, you've got your DM information, all in one nice, you know, nice big thick book. Right. And from what I've understood, it's actually put together better than the original books were? Yes, it is. It, it okay. is, like I said, if you're interested in basic D&D, I highly recommend picking up the Rule Cyclopedia, whether you want to just go buy the digital Again, I encourage you, go buy the digital. Don't just go to a site and download it. Um, or if you have the money, pick up a physical copy. I think it's worth it because it does give you a lot of stuff. Yeah, I already play and know how to play 2nd through 5th edition, so I never really got into basic. I've played it a few times because one of the groups I game with, they every once in a while they'll dig it out, you know, mothball nostalgia. And I like it, but fifth gives me enough of the feel that I don't feel like I've got to go out and find these basic games, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think another nice thing about PDFs, it's real. it's been a real godsend for us small publishers because it makes it a lot easier to get your product out there. Um, for example, if someone in Australia, just to use an example, wants to buy some of my products, do you know how much it costs to ship something from the U.S. to Australia? I don't, but I'm going to make a guess here. And even if you send it media mail, if that's even an option from the United States to to um, Australia, I'm guessing easily 40 to $50. It was something like that because a few years ago, uh, I got an email from someone because I've mentioned before how I used to be in a company called Lasalian Games, yeah. and uh, a gentleman from Australia asked if I had any copies of my old, you know, any old copies of Lasalian Games stuff to sell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's, yeah, he was fully willing to pay for shipping, and I sent him a few books. It wasn't a lot. It, I mean, they were soft cover, spiral bound, so they're not heavy, but it costs, yeah, about 30, 40 bucks to send that. Um you know, now but you're of course, lucky. you find a guy who's like, I'm, I'll pay for it. And, you know, a lot of times, in the, especially in this day and age, people don't want to pay for shipping. Exactly. And not only did he pay for the shipping, he afterwards, I'm like, well, I'll, you know, I'll just charge you for shipping because I wasn't going to really make any money off of it. But then he still ended up paying me a hundred bucks for it anyway. It's like, wow, that dude is awesome. I forgot the guy's name, but he was awesome. <laughs> but the, still, I mean, well, yeah. It costs a lot to ship stuff around the world, but the nice thing about the PDF is I can sell PDFs of my products to anyone in the world, and they're not having to pay for shipping. So mm -hmm. I'm willing to, I mean, yes, I know there's always a, well, actually, I haven't looked to see if my products are on any of the pirate sites. I don't go to those sites. I've heard just too much, vi too many viruses and stuff out there. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I still, like I said, I... I've accept the fact that digital piracy, it's not going away. There's not much you can do, but um, still, I do like the digital distribution because it does give you that. It does make it easier to get your products out there. So let me ask you this. Before you started with the digital uh, PDF, selling your stuff as PDFs, in a given year, on average, how many units would you sell by going to conventions and by online and, you know, print on demand kind of thing. How many units would you sell in a year on average? Not much. 
Uh, well, actually, let me think. Uh, you're talking about it's point of insanity. Game Studio or Lasalian Games? Just overall. Well, as Lasalian Games, we actually did pretty good. Uh, there were a couple years at Gen Con where we did. There was one year I know we sold out, and there was another year where we came close to selling out. But then we've had other years where we'd only sell, you know, maybe a couple of books. Um, and as again, I admit my efforts to sell at conventions usually haven't been very much. I'm lucky if I make enough to get back my booth. Okay, now since you've started putting stuff on PDF, how many units do you push in a year through PDF? Still not a lot. <laughs> I admit I don't know if it's just that I haven't um got the right audience or my problem has been I guess part of my problem has always been I'm not very good at advertising and marketing. Um so I don't know. I'm hoping to start to improve that and but it's still it is more I'd say than the than the physical books. Right. And that's that's what I was kind of getting at is I'm thinking that as a small publisher, getting your name out there is easier doing it through PDFs. Yep. Because if somebody really wants a solid copy, like most of your books run what, 60, 70 pages, 80 pages, something like that, I think. Um, some of them, uh, some of them do run a bit more. Right. So how much does it cost me to download? Let's say your your most expensive PDF. What's your most expensive PDF? Eight bucks. Eight bucks. So it cost me eight bucks to buy your PDF. I turn around and I take that PDF, which I now have the right to do what I pretty much whatever I want with it, other than give it away for free. Mm -hmm. And I go down to Office Max and I say, how much to print this? And they look at it and they go, oh, it's 97 pages, let's say. Okay, 97 pages, you know, you get a discount because it's volume. It's going to cost you 12 bucks. So now for 20 bucks, I've got a physical copy and I have the PDF. And that's still half the price of going and buying something from Wizards of the Coast. That is true. So, but I know, and uh, well, another thing, and again, this is not really with the top of technology, but I, another thing that I, I think has definitely aided the small publishers is the print-on-demand as well. But, well, here's another way that the PDF distribution has also helped uh, some people within the game industry, the artists. Because if you go to... Uh, the you know go to drive through stuff there are artists that sell stock art now mm -hmm. usually i i mean it runs the gamut as far as price and quality uh but there's there's a few companies out there that do sell you know good quality artwork for a reasonable price uh like i'd say off the i have to say off the top of my head uh lewis porter junior designs has a, a lot of good stuff uh, there's one this one company, Sign Nome Publishing. They actually put all of their artwork out there as public domain that you can get for free, which is awesome. And it's good artwork. Now, the only problem, if you want to call it that, is that it's not going to be exclusive to your game. So there's right. some artwork that I've used that if you go out there, you'll find it in other companies' books, which doesn't bother me. And usually they're pretty good about their licensing most of the time, they, most of these self-published artists will let you crop it, um, you know, rotate it. Some will let you recolor it. Uh, the only real, I mean, I know that some of them specifically have in their README files that larger companies like Wizards of the Coast or White Wolf, they they will do special. They ha, they do ask for more to for them, and I think it's because they realize they can afford it. Whereas right. me, someone like me, I can't afford to pay someone, you know, five, six hundred dollars for a piece of color cover art. I wish I could, but I can't. Well, you know, and that's like when I was working on my board game. Mm -hmm. uh, a buddy of mine and I, we were putting this board game together. I know you saw you saw some of the beta copies of it. Yeah. We went, we found an artist and she came to us, we had put a, a request out on one of the boards, you know, and she came to us and she said she would do the art. She had an idea and it was down to her and like two other artists and they sent us, you know, stuff to look at. And when we chose her and we started talking price, you know, we said, we don't have a lot of money to put into art. And she said, okay, that's fine. You know, she's like, will I get credit for the art? And we're like, absolutely. 
so she had asked, you know, do I get credit for this? You know, because I guess if you buy the art, you don't necessarily have to give the artist credit. And we said, absolutely. You know, you will get 100% credit for all the art you do. Because we had talked to her. She was going to do the box. She was going to do the board. And then the cards. She was going to do basically all of our art. And she was out of New York. And she was a new artist. And she said, okay, that's great. She goes, well, what about pay? And we're like, we don't have a ton of money to give you for pay. But we're willing to work something out. And she came back and she said, okay, well, if this goes into production, what about a cut of the profits? And we thought about it and we talked about it. And we're like, you know what? She's asking for a cut of profits, not just for a cut of money's made. And we're like, yeah, that'll work. And we worked it out. And I can't remember if it was five or 7% or something like that. And we're like, and, you know, so we did this contract, the whole works with her. And we paid her some money up front. I mean, we didn't want her to put all this time into it. And if it never got to the shelves like it didn't, you know. At least she got something for her troubles. Right. But But wait, Chad, Chad, you weren't going to pay her with exposure? Well, that was part of it. That's why she asked about the credit for, you know, doing the art. So, you know, would she be listed as the art? No, it's just um, the reason I said that is there was this card because I have a couple of artist friends and. There's this car, uh, comic that they pass around Facebook every now and then. It's like, someone's like, hey, would you do some artwork for me? He's like, sure. Well, how much are you going to pay? I'll pay you with exposure. And he gives them some pieces of paper that say exposure on them. And then the guy, you know, the artist takes these like, hi, I'd like to pay, you know, I'd like to buy a hot, he goes like, I think it's a hot dog stand. I'd like to buy a hot dog. Okay, it's going to be $5. like, well, here's exposure. Can I pay you in that? And again, it's supposed to it's supposed to just stress the point that there's companies they try to exploit artists and content creators saying that they're gonna pay them in a, you know that it's ex- we're not gonna pay you, but it's exposure. Well right. exposures don't buy groceries, put gas in your car, or pay your rent. <laughs> right. And and how long do you pay an exposure before the artist is like I've been getting all kinds of exposure, you know, but I can't pay my bills. Exactly. It's one of those things. Okay, so go on before I interrupted you. uh, But, you know, it's one of those things. We would have never found this girl if it wasn't for technology. You know, without the Internet, I wouldn't have been able to go to New York and find her. You know, we would have had her work from local artists. And... We live in Wisconsin. There's not a ton of them. You know, I've got friends that, that can draw, but could they do something good enough to put on top of a box that you're going to try to sell worldwide? Probably not. You know, so that's just, it's just kind of getting to that whole thing. Without technology, a lot of things that we do now or take for granted now wouldn't be there. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the podcasting we're doing right now, I mean, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we couldn't be doing this, you know, having this talk over the phone and, you know, over the internet. We would have had to, A, both live in the same town. Or within driving distance. or, Or within driving distance. We would have to find a radio station that we could talk into, letting us go on the air, probably on a Saturday night at 11 p.m., to talk to eight people, and that would be our quote-unquote podcasting. And I think we get to more than eight people with most of our episodes. <laughs> yep. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely been, you know, really good, I think, for, uh, you know, gaming and gaming, the whole, you know, technology with the, you know, the PDFs and all that. And as I said, I think it's been a boon for both the players as well as the gamers and you know why are you looking at me like that chad is that technology getting in the way of our podcast Uh, not now i'm playing a game on my smartphone um okay let's see we're gonna have this person fight uh let's see then um hmm okay round two okay crush down yeah, he's crushed you're down. Yes. Attacked. You're being attacked by a 
Owlbear. The rest of your party has disappeared. I I use my I summon my roaming warrior. Uh, she's gonna use the magic album ability. Al, um, Al, Al. No, no, this is in game. You're a thief. You don't have. You don't summon anything. Flame burst. No, you're not a spellcaster. You're a thief. Put the game down. Oh, da, 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 sorry. Uh, uh, I just I'm almost done with this fight. I'm almost done with this fight. What what was that? I'm sorry. Sorry, I was no, playing my no, game no, on my we'll phone. You, uh. Nothing. We'll let you know the next time we game. <laughs> oh, when, when's the next time we're gaming? I, I don't know yet. We got to figure that out, but we'll, we'll let you know. Okay, what happened? Wait, you said something about a bugbear? It was an owl bear. An owl bear. Dead. Yeah. Did I? You know, that just brings to mind that... Well, you, I know I told you about that guy, Dan Marcotti, Dan the Bard. Yeah. He has a song, Have You Hugged an Owl Bear? Am I now the character in that How, Have You Hugged an Owl Bear song? Perhaps. Have you ever heard that song? I have not. YouTube anyway, it, and if you like it, buy the album. It's good. But anyways, okay, but so anyway, yes, the point. You have a good point here, and actually where I wanted to kind of sidestep was technology at the table now. Yes. You know, we've talked about how it's assisted and detracted from the industry as a whole and from the player's perspective and the producer's perspective. But what about at the table? Well, I have to admit with a lot of my groups, usually we don't have too much of a problem with it. Um, Because when I, well, when I was running a campaign for one of my game systems, I sent the people who were, um, you know, at my table a copy of the rules in PDF. And, you know, of course it was my product. So it was, I was taking the law. Well, actually I wasn't really taking a loss because, and that's another nice thing about the PDFs is you can give them to people and you're not taking much of a financial loss there. But I, this is what I have to say. I mean, I've never really had much of a problem with people playing their phones at the table, but I do think it's good how with PDFs and, you know, your, your smartphones and your, you know, tablets, it does make it easy to reference those, you know, that material. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, it sounds like though you probably had a little bit of problems sometime with people. Well, here, here's my thing with technology. I don't have much of a problem with cell phones. Like you said, they're easy to use. They're easy to find stuff. I don't mind people on their cell phones if they're not engaged in. And that's what I end up doing is it's like, I'm kind of old school in the fact that I don't want to know what other people are doing if the party split. And so I'll pick up my phone and I'll play some stupid game that it doesn't matter if all of a sudden my name's called, I can put the game down. It doesn't matter kind of thing. I don't have a problem with that. I don't like laptops at the game table for a couple of reasons. The biggest one being eye contact. It kind of gets lost. People start, you know, they're doing something on their, they're doing something on their computer. They're looking something up on their computer, but you can't make eye contact with them. And I think a lot of gaming is that social interaction. I mean, you and I could sit and talk on the phone and game. You can do that. Most likely, it's going to be pretty ass boring. Yeah, it is. Because you don't, you can go, I can go, Al, this happens to you, and you can respond and, and be shocked or be happy or be sad. But I don't see that response on your face, so it's half lost. Well, what about as a game master using a laptop? Never do it. See, I could see how, because it could be kind of like your own little GM screen in a way. I've never really used a lap. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I, I lie. Yes, I have used a laptop as a game master, which I find is helpful because, you know, I can have a PDF of the adventure I'm running and the supplements I need. But what I also like doing is I'll sometimes keep like a, a text file open that I can use to keep track of things like hit points for the enemies or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still prefer to have the physical copies, but I don't think as a game master, I think a laptop at the table isn't a bad idea and can actually be quite helpful. I understand that, but I guess I'm I'm just most of the time I don't even open my books because I am I'm a different type of DM. I am not, I don't need to know every single crunchy rule. 
I am more of a storyteller. And if I make a call during the game and somebody goes, that's wrong, I'll say, okay, show me. You know, either take a book out, show me, or show me something that tells me I'm wrong. If you can't, for now, it's going to stay this way. If you can, okay, let's make the adjustment. I mean, I know the rules to D&D. Do I know every single little crunchy one? Honestly, I don't know how grapple works. I have to look it up every time. Grapple sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's second edition, third edition, fourth edition. Fifth. Well, actually, it was pretty easy in fourth edition. Fifth edition, it sucks. Grapple just sucks. So when a situation like that comes up, yes, I will grab a book. I will open it up to the grapple and be like, okay, so we got to do this, roll that, do this. Okay, you're grappled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but other than that, I try to keep away from that. I, I want the game to be as immersive as possible without the awkward pauses to be like, wait, I want to do something. Oh, um, so, oh, I can't do that. Hold on a second. And then, you know, back to the book. And it's just, to me, that takes away from the enjoyment of the game. Oh, does sorry. I was to, checking my Facebook it, on my does phone. Does it sorry. have to happen? Yes. Yeah. Does it have to happen as much as it does in most games? No. Yeah. Now, that's my opinion. Yeah. Now, have you ever had much of a problem with people like checking Facebook or Twitter or something at their, at the game table? If they're on their cell phones and they're doing it when they're not engaged in the game, I don't care. I, I really don't. I used to. Man, when, when people first started going, can I bring my tablet? No, hell no. Not at my table. Never. And then I found that a smartphone can actually be helpful. Because now instead of opening up the book and going to grapple, I can just go, how do I, you know, how do, I do a grapple in Dungeons & Dragons 3.5? And boom, it's there. And it's faster than me trying to go to the back, find what page Grapple is on, you know, go back to Grapple. So there are advantages to it. And as long as you don't allow it to get in the way of you being immersed in the game when you're supposed to be, go for it. Yeah, and like I said, I've, I guess I've been lucky uh, in that my gamers, usually if someone is going to play around on their phone... They usually do it when they're not in a situation where they need to be in. They're, they're, they don't do it at the wrong time. Like if you pick we're that in a, phone up when you're in combat, and I'm going to throw something at you. It's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. So another thing with that you had an idea about talking about, even though it's not really specifically technology related, but no. you had mentioned when we were, you know, when you just had this idea, the use of alcohol and recreational drugs at the table now obviously right. we don't we don't condone the use of illegal substances no absolutely not i've have never you, had it have you ever had a situation where you've run into somebody let's start with alcohol have you ever had a situation where somebody is playing and drinking not really um most of the people i game with um we usually we don't have alcohol I maybe when I was in college, someone may have, but like I said, usually for me, alcohol has never really been a problem or an issue at the table. Usually we're just drinking Mountain Dew or, or, you know, soda. <laughs> right. Right. And I would agree. Most of the time we do not drink, but on occasion, somebody will bring beer along. They'll be like, Oh man, I try. And just to give people a little background here, 90% of my normal game group, we're all beer drinkers. We all enjoy a good beer. But nobody ever comes and is like, they'll come and they'll be like, oh, I tried this new beer. Has anybody tried this? Do you want to try it? You know, kind of thing. Drink a beer, maybe two beers. And, it, and it's never more than that. And it's never to the point where somebody's like just toasted out of their mind. Never had anyone get shit faced at the table? No. When I run, I don't drink. Yeah. Just, I, I don't. I figure I have to be on my toes because I've got to play every single character except the six at the table. <laughs> you know, That's you've true. got to be able to think clearly and do what you're doing. You know, that, that reminds... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I will occasionally have a beer when I'm playing. Because especially, you know, we, we game on Friday nights. So if it's been an extremely hard 
week at work, it's kind of nice to wind down with a game and a beer. But other than that, we're mostly soda drinkers. You know, it's just, yeah, I agree with you on that. But what were you going to say? Oh, you know, it's just, it, there was an episode of uh, Big Bang Theory, one of their episodes where they were playing D&D. Um, the girl, you know, the, the girls, just, they were going to join the guys in their session. And uh, Penny, I think, was going to have a, an alcoholic beverage. Okay. And uh, Sheldon, I think it was Sheldon's like, you know, oh, we don't drink at the table. It impairs our our thinking. And Penny's like, it's not al- it's not alcohol. It's a magic potion that makes me like you. And then her boyfriend was like, more potion, please. <laughs> so sorry, that's funny. But yeah, you know, I mean. But, you know, I I have heard horror stories about people who come in and, and some player gets just loaded or they come in drunk and it's just an issue. You know, and if that ever happened, how would you how would you go forward dealing with something like that? That's a good question, because, I mean, if it was a good friend of mine, well, assuming they're of age, of course, I mean, we're obviously we don't condone underage drinking. But I mean, if it was a friend of mine, I mean, I would probably just take him aside and go like, hey, you know, it's I, I know there's nothing wrong with enjoying a beer, but don't show up at the game table, you know, drunk off your butt like that. I mean, that's. Um, cause I mean, let's face it, people can do stupid things when they're drunk and it's not just something like, yeah, I have my wizard with his dagger plus one rushing to melee with that dragon. No, we're talking about people actually doing real stupid stuff that's right. going to have real life consequences. Yeah. I mean, would you send that player away for that session? I would only if they really became a problem i mean if they okay. are dr- if they are drunk little tipsy but they're not it's not causing an issue i can tolerate it but still i i mean if they it does get to the point of problem it'd be like hey i or maybe what i might do is just end the session early like i said it's not it's not a problem i've had to deal with so i'm not exactly sure how i would deal with it if it ever happened okay or the situation let let's say al i'm coming over to game and on my way there, I stopped at the store, and I got a four-pack of beer, and I sit down, and I pop open that first beer. You going to say anything? The first beer, no. Um, because, Lias, you're over 21. You're more than, you know, you're, I legally, I can't stop you from drinking. But as long as you're, as I said, as long as you're keeping it, you're not letting that impair your judgment where you're doing things that are stupid. Now, maybe if there were younger gamers, like, you know, maybe like 13, 14 presents, I would be like, hey, don't drink in front of kids that young. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what I would do. What would you do if you were in a situation like that where, you know, someone did come in? Come in already intoxicated? Yeah, or, well, or in the situation where someone sits down at the table and, well, I think you said that you're not, you know, usually don't have people drink at your gaming table but you know as long as they're not it seems like you're the impression as long as they're not like getting toasted it's not really much of an issue for you see my problem would come in is if somebody came in drunk how did they get here that is true you know my first intent my first thing would be like you're not playing go home but then am i turning around and sending somebody who's drunk back into a car to drive home you know, there there's all these things, but I I don't know how I would handle it. Yeah, it's one. It's a it's, it's a hard one. Yeah, it's like one of those situations I think where we think about, but we hope we never have to really deal with, because especially if it's your friend. Right. Um, I mean, again, let's just pick on Dan from Radio Free Borderlands. Yeah, grab that soda, Chad. <laughs> You know, because like I said, soda. it's a good thing I'm not drinking beer tonight. Exactly. Um, but I mean, yeah, like if he showed up to a game session at my house and he was getting totally drunk, um, you know, again, since we've been friends for so long. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would do in a situation like that. I, I mean, I know he's not the kind of person that would do that, but right. um, still, I, I mean, especially feel, I kind of feel like if it was somebody I was close to, I think it would happen. I would just let it happen. 
and then obviously not let them go home, you know, crash out of the house or whatever. And then the next day sit down and be like, okay, what's going on? Because there might be something I don't know about, you know, and I might have to be like, you know, okay, what's going on? And there might be a circumstance behind it. Like this isn't a habit. This isn't something I do all the time, but this happened, you know, I got fired or whatever, you know? So it was just stress relief. Okay. I can understand that. But in the future, you know, let's try to kind of leave that at home. Or, you know, if you come in and, and you lost your damn job, we don't have to game, you know, the, the entire group, the group that games together, we're all really good friends. And it's like, we don't have to game. We can sit here and commiserate with you, you know, and then we can all drink beer. <laughs> Everyone wins. Well, right. You know, well, from a certain I mean? point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a hard one. And, you know, I did bring up recreational drugs. I've never really dealt with that beyond somebody smoking weed before they came. Yeah. But... And I've never, I've never had to deal with that because like I said, the the friends I've had over the years, um, most of them never have really been into anything like that. Um, I mean, I've known a couple of people over the years who've too used to do marijuana, but I don't know. I've never really known anyone that's been into the hard stuff like crack, cocaine, meth, right. uh, anything like that. And again, with, I mean, and as far as marijuana, I'm not quite on board with recreational use. I think that it... I think it does have legitimate medical uses that should be allowed. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as like marijuana, I think it should be decriminalized because I don't know. That's again, we're getting off topic. I mean, like I said, I don't condone using illegal right. drugs, but if it's a situation like medical marijuana that is prescribed by a doctor, I'm, you know, I'm fully in favor of that. Right. But go outside to smoke it. Don't no, smoke it at my house. I don't want the cops over. Right. And, you know, it's one of those things where because of its legal status at this point, I'd be like, dude, no, you just don't. Now, not so much because my daughters are older. They're smart enough to know better. But I'm like, if somebody had done that when my girls were young, oh, yeah, it would have been hell okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, your son's 11. Uh, he just turned 13. Oh, wow. Okay. But still, even at his age, I wouldn't want one of my friends coming over. And doing something like marijuana, because what if my kid thinks, you know, Bob is cool. And now he sees Bob do this thing. And because Bob's cool, that makes that cool. You know, that's that's where my fear would lie more than the cops coming over. Because yeah. unless I call the cops, what are the chances of coming over? You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've never really had to deal with it. Like I said, I, I know people that smoke marijuana. Um, they're not part of my regular gaming group. They used to come into my store all the time and I couldn't prove anything. I mean, you can smell it, but you can't prove anything. So again, as long as they keep themselves in check, whatever. So I think this episode is about winding down about right now. So, I mean, I, as I said, technology at the, I know we got a little off topic there going into like drugs and alcohol, but still it's something that. I think well, something we couldn't do an entire episode about, but I think it's important we talk about. Yeah. And again, the whole idea of technology at the table, it's a fascinating subject because I mean, I guess as being a, you know, a nerd, a geek, I'm always impressed to think, Wait, okay. We're nerds? Yes, we we're are. Geeks? Yes, we are. When did that happen? Why didn't anybody tell me? I thought it was cool. When did you pick up your first set of dice? 1994. You've been a geek since then. Sweet. I mean, <laughs> ooh, I mean, <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying, I mean, it's, I, and I guess that's one of the things that I always think is fascinating about uh, technology is what, what's going to come next, you know? Right. Yeah. So, well, actually, I kind of know what's going next. There's, uh, you know, they talk about the, well, a couple of things, and oh, we probably could have talked about this before. One of the things that 3D printing has done, there's companies now that, you know, you can make your own custom miniature. But what some places of people have started to do 
is they're starting to introduce the you know the larger tablet computers that you can use as a game board. Yeah. Um. So oh, I, the I game tables. Yes. Well, some of those are so good looking, and they're so expensive at this yeah. point. So yeah, it's I mean, going to be a while before those become commonplace. But I remember seeing um, I remember seeing a, a video where some people were playing on one of those, and it's like it had things that kept track of their hit points, and it's like, wow. But yeah, I, I know they're probably extremely expensive, but I could still see how that would be pretty awesome, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. But well, Chad. So if people want well, to contact, well, well, Chad. Well, Al. Well, Chad. Yes, sir. Okay. If people want to contact the one, the only, the legendary Chad, where can they do it? Well, you can. Or how can they do it? Or you can send me an email to eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com. And other than that, that's probably the best place to get me at this point. Other than that, go to Al's Podbean feed and you'll find all my work there. Which is... uh, what is that? That's uh, POI Game Studios slash Podbean.com. Singular. POI Game Studio.podbean.com. Well, I'd like to thank you all for joining us and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. <laughs>